I think we can all agree that coordinating climate action policy across sectors is hugely important and a difficult task, particularly now. In particular, coordinating government efforts to grow the clean economy and meet net zero commitments takes strategy, efficiency, and care. That's something that the minister we're about to hear from has spoken about a lot. Canadians are fortunate to have extraordinary leaders guiding these processes, including our next speakers. In addition to being our Minister of Labour and Minister of Seniors, he's also importantly the chair of the Ministerial Working Group on Regulatory Efficiency for Clean Growth Projects. I know that's something that we've been hearing about throughout today. Um, and joining him in conversation, as I uh, introduce him in a moment, is someone you heard from a little bit earlier in the late morning, our former Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and a former Natural Resources Minister herself, Anne McClellan. So joining Anne, please welcome also for the first time the Minister, Seamus O'Regan. Thanks very much to you both. Over to you. Hi again, everyone. Minister, welcome. Great Thank to you. see you again. Thank you. It's always good. Seamus, uh, the minister, used to interview me when I was a minister, when he was the host of Canada AM. So, uh, <laughs> now she gets her sweet yeah, revenge. That's right. You have no idea how much I enjoy having the tables turn. <laughs> And you and I recently were on a stage uh, together in uh, Wolfville, Nova Scotia, where you and I were roasting the Honorable Scott Bryson on uh, some years after. Not the Honorable uh, Scott Bryson. <laughs> well, um, and in fact, I challenged I challenged uh, the minister because <laughs> I said, you're going to have to prove to me tonight that you're, you're funnier than Brian Tobin. And Brian was my former colleague. Anyway, he did really well, I've got to say. I'm not sure. It was probably a draw in terms of no, gift of no. yeah, the gift I used of to write his speeches. I did. All right, fine. Uh, you're not giving an inch, <laughs> are you? But anyway, uh, I think it's fair to say that both you and Brian have what we call in Atlantic Canada the gift of the gam. Yeah. Yeah. And this afternoon, uh, we're going to uh, have you display some of that gift for the gab in terms of your job, uh, your ministerial uh, role as Minister of Labor, certainly Minister, you have not been without your difficult labor situations over the past number of months. And also talk about the ministerial working group, uh, and you have already corrected me once in relation to the title of your uh, new committee of cabinet, but the ministerial working group on regulatory efficiency for clean growth projects. If obscurity is power in this city, that's right, for sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, except I think you probably are quite a powerful man in relation to that committee. So let's start there because my guess is a whole lot of people in this room are very interested in knowing what your mandate is yeah. and uh, whether you've started your work and how you, as chair of that committee, see that work moving forward because this is a government that from about 1718 started talking about regulatory efficiency yeah. but quite honestly minister we haven't seen a whole lot and uh, there was money 1.45 billion in a budget two years ago yeah. in relation to moving forward with regulatory efficiency yeah. so you've got this big job now to drive this forward so maybe share with everyone here how you see the role and what progress you're making so far uh well first of all i can see it was a huge mistake to uh sacrifice 15 minutes of a speaking speaking time and then you know 20 minutes with q a uh already anna's got me on the ropes um 
first of all, I would I would say th- there is a significant perception problem in terms of whether or not governments can get stuff built. Uh, that is not, in fact, always the case. I think that, um, you know, I look at my uh, friend, Sonia Savage, it was so good to see her last night. Um, I'll tell her, if you don't mind, Sonia, I'm going to tell that bloody story again, but I think it's just worth telling. Um, when I joined this noted support group that we have now, former ministers of natural resource, right? 2019, um, uh, uh, liberals were kicked out of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, the prime minister named me minister of natural resources, being Newfoundland and Labrador as an oil producing province. Um, and a good friend of ours, Heidi Bonnell, mm-hmm. um, had, uh, while I was, I'd just been sworn in and hadn't left Rideau Hall to appear in front of the National Press Gallery yet. And she texted, uh, she had texted Sonia and, uh, and put us together. Sonia texted me. I had not met her before or known of her and said, uh, congratulations, Minister, when are you coming to Alberta? I texted back, how about tomorrow? <laughs> so we did. And we were reminiscing last night, actually. She was a very, uh, she was a very good uh, tutor. Um, she's like, you just read section 92 and we'll get along just fine. Um, uh, it didn't take a lot because I mean, I was, I was in, you know, I was, uh, with, when I was with Brian, mm-hmm. I was heavily involved in, in energy policy issues and particularly also on indigenous issues. And, uh, I know the role, you know, I know 92, uh, I knew that very well. And you can't begin a conversation on any of these things until you. You know, you you note that, and then you and then you you proceed from there. So, um, I I enter into this ministerial working group on regulatory efficiency in clean growth. It's taken me weeks it to be able to say it cool. again, but but it, it it is an excellent opportunity, I think, to maybe crack that perception and also to just get more stuff built. It is a very I've never seen civil servants so excited. Um, and I'm very happy to say that. At, at first, I, you know, this happened during the cabinet shuffle. It was announced. Um, I uh, wasn't aware of it um, and, and therefore wasn't sure uh, how much work had gone into it, as it turned out a lot. And PCO uh, uh, is driving this. Uh, they are very excited about the opportunity. The idea is that we just stop kind of the, stop the myopia. Uh, and this is a uh, a big passion of mine. I mean, when I, uh, after I left Brian and I wanted to do a, my graduate degree on indigenous participation in natural resource development in Canada, that's what I wanted to do. And I was look, I looked everywhere for a multidisciplinary degree because it wasn't enough just to look at it from an economic point of view or a political point of view. It, in fact, it, it takes in sociology, it takes, there are philosophical underpinnings to it too as well so i did a, I, I found a university that would give me the breadth of it because that's where you figure it out right it's 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 where all the points meet that's where you get the royal jelly and our problem in government and i would argue in lots of society is it's just way too much myopia mm-hmm. and and i mean even if you were to dig into let's say fisheries and oceans which is a huge role mm-hmm. in natural resource development both freshwater and and offshore you know, you have people, you have scientists who are very good, at, who are experts on cod, who are experts on seabirds, who are experts, and any one of those could turn down one of 200 permits involved in, in any one project. <laughs> and every one of those are very important, but, you know, the, the, I, I'll, I'll tell one good news story to come out of, uh, I, it's not true to say one good news story, but, you know, 
there was it built within 69 uh there are regional assessments right and that is an that is i think something that i want to build on right there are some parts obviously the supreme court may you know gave its opinion not everything was right not everything respected provincial jurisdiction and we got to get that right couldn't agree with that more but with regional assessments when when we got in offshore oil if you if uh, if you wanted to drill an exploratory well so just drill into the seabed to see if there's oil there took 900 days it was 300 uh when when uh, the harper government uh, put in sea 2012 they forgot about newfoundland and uh, an exploratory well became the same as hibernia or hebron like a full platform 900 days just to drill one of these holes at the Using a regional assessment, we went out, we looked at the whole basin off of Newfoundland, and we looked at how the ecosystems work together. So no myopia. What happens over here? How does that affect 20 kilometers over here or 150 kilometers over here? Looked at the whole thing and how they integrate, and we were able to drop it to 90. So 900 days to 90 days with better environmental oversight. That, to me, is the win that you want to go for, right? That's just common sense. Do it all in one year look at all of it, and then you've got your basis, right? So then to look at one particular thing takes 90 days. That's where I want to go. That's, that, to me, is kind of the, the gold star, and, and that's what I'm looking for. The ministers on this committee, they're serious. You know, it's uh, uh, Francois-Philippe, Christia, Jonathan, Stephen, uh, Gary, and then there are others who were brought in. And the nice thing about ministerial working groups as opposed to cabinet committees is um, it's it's a broader table and we can bring in other people. It's a little more roll up your shirt sleeves and everybody call each other by their first names and get down to business. So it's um, it's my style uh, and I feel very passionately. But you're not taking over the uh, review of specific projects. That's obviously uh, going to be dealt with by whatever reformed uh, Environmental Assessment Act uh, you in the government comes up with after the Supreme Court of Canada decision. Yeah. So in terms of your work uh, as a ministerial working group, can you share a little bit more in terms of exactly what are the, what are the efficiencies? Oh. Now, I think you've, uh, uh, your example speaks to some of that in a general way, yeah. but the kinds of efficiencies that people in this room would like to see because they've been dealing uh, with uh, what, let me call the inefficiencies, the lack of timeliness, the duplication yeah. of science, a whole range of things that people have found difficult. Yeah, and if, you know, I think if, if you sit in the chair as Minister of Natural Resources, you see that, you know, quite often. Um, uh, I, you know, in my time there, I, I dealt with Jonathan when he was uh, Minister of, of ECCC, and we had a very, very good relationship, got an awful lot done. You know, Sonia and I got a lot done, line three, for instance. I mean, we were able to, you know, get some things done. Um, but uh, uh, there's way too much duplication. Um, uh, we have, I mean, you know, we, we have an arrangement with British Columbia so that we have one assessment. Right. Um, and that just means, you know, you go to the province and you say, look, you know, in terms of a federal environmental assessment, we just need you to hit these marks. If you hit those marks, then it's one assessment. I'd like to do more of that. Yeah. Um, aggressively. Uh, the, the bulk of it actually, because the federal government, believe it or not, I mean, they're high profile, the, the, the projects that we deal with, but generally they're almost always the problem. Yes. In yeah. keeping yeah. with the constitution. Yeah. Um, but where we do come in often is permitting. Yes. And, and I think we could do a lot more on permitting. 
Um, some things have become political powder kegs, and you know, environmental assessment certainly has become one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, permitting, because it's so disparate, I think, and, and harder, um, you know, to kind of it's 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 a it's a more difficult boogeyman because it's all over the place. But but if we can harness that and streamline that, that would be a lot better. One of the other things I I you know when I when when sixty nine came out and and I was you know I defended it also from a, from an in, uh, an indigenous point of view mm-hmm. because what had happened was I think that you know and what had aggravated me from some from the point of view of somebody who wanted to get projects built that's what I did my dissertation in you know you cannot ignore the indigenous fact no so stop barreling ahead and thinking that if we just steamroll our way mm-hmm. through we'll get it done court decision after court decision after court decision after court decision. So right. bake it into the process. Um, but, you know, and I think we did that, but we could do, we could be doing a lot more. And, you know, one of the things that's come up for me is just capacity. And that's only become more accentuated now because with reconciliation, you know, there's a lot of money that's been put into it, but there's also been a lot of jurisdiction that has been rightfully returned to First Nations Inuit and Métis communities. The problem is, in my experience, in dealing with a lot of Indigenous communities, and as Minister of Indigenous Services, well, but right. I grew up in Labrador, um, and I know these communities. Is it's generally one woman in her in her you know late thirties, early forties, uh, who runs everything and keeps it all together. And now, you know, and that and that's the that's the leadership I'm familiar with. It's usually the administrator. Right. And on top of it, we said, oh, by the way, you're going to decide where the houses are going to go. By the way, you're going to work on a new water system and we're going to train the people. By the way, we're also giving you your own welfare system. If you could start that up, that'd be great. Education, you know, health care. And they're just like, oh, my God. So you put on top of that, oh, by the way, there's a neighboring, you know, natural resource development and we want you involved in impact benefits and blah, blah. It's a lot. Yeah. So where can we streamline a lot more of these things so that it's like, look, let's sit down and let's deal with a number of these things together. Um, and, you know, that that's that's got to happen. But I think that I think I, you know, I'm, I know a lot of many of you were very, very well attuned to that. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But as long as that's well understood and it's in there, there are so many, you know, uh, communities in this country, indigenous and non-indigenous who want to participate and want more natural resource development. We got to meet them halfway. Good luck with that. <laughs> we'll all be watching very carefully. That was, that was the, that is a retort I had coming because I made a joke with Ann, uh, you know, when you're roasting somebody like Scott Bryce and you also roast all the other roasters. Yeah. Uh, Ann and, and Anita Anand, Mike Savage, Roger Kuzner, uh, Stephen McLean. Um, uh, it was a lot, it was a lot. It was a lot. It would, no, no, it was easier with Roger. It was harder with you. The only thing I could say was, you know, Emma McClellan dedicating her life to uh, liberals and conservatives working together on common cause for the good of this country. And how is that going for you? <laughs> Super That's good. So, so yeah. they're rightful workers. Now, obviously, uh, you are the Minister of Labor. And as I uh, mentioned at the beginning, you've been dealing with some pretty high profile situations. Um, obviously, uh, the port strike, uh, the port of Vancouver, a billion dollars a day, probably more than that, in um, lost in um, economic activity, product leaving this country, product coming into this country. Yeah. Many people are starting to suggest there have to be new tools, yeah. right? I love that expression. New tools by which 
uh, we, we resolve these uh, labor situations, at least in critical or essential services, right? Because if the port shuts down or the seaway shuts down, all of a sudden you really have effectively brought the Canadian economy or most of it to a standstill. Yes. So what are you thinking? And I know you've got a report out there looking at structural issues around at least the Vancouver uh, situation. But when people talk about new tools, uh, do you have thoughts on what that might look like? Um, and uh, what you're thinking in terms of how we avoid these situations involving critical infrastructure? Let me set the scene for you. Uh, two weeks staring out of a hotel room at a Vancouver, Vancouver Harbor that is not moving. Boats are still, nothing's moving. Ironically, the hotel room I had at the Western Bayshore was adjacent to the suite where Howard Hughes had his last days, you know, the, 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 the Mason Jars days. You know what I'm talking about. The thought crossed my mind. How long would I be here? So you, you, you focus your anger constructively. I've learned this through therapy. Good. Yeah. Um, so clearly there's a better way. Yeah. Um, a reporter showed me headlines from the Vancouver Sun in the 1930s that could have been written today mm. on, on strikes, on the unions, on the BCMEA, which is the Employers Association. So it's not something has to change. Um, there are certain provisions within the code that I can use and I'm willing to use in order to, to, to you know, to make that. But what I've asked in the meantime, just in the next couple of months, is two extremely reputable professors in, in, in labor are looking at, the, at previous studies, one that was given um, to uh, the Minister of Labor back in 1995 and one that was given to our friend Lisa Raitt, Minister of Labor in 2010, saying you got to do something. Um, you know, Lisa, I don't, you know, probably the other thing didn't get to it. I am determined to get to it. Mm -hmm. So I'll see what they recommend and I want to move on it structurally because uh, we can't have this happen again. Um, you have 32 ports, uh, you have one union, and if that negotiation breaks down, we see what we saw. Now, uh, day one, back-to-work legislation. Anybody who says, well, the federal government's going to do something about it, what they're saying is back-to-work legislation. I'm not doing it. That's true. I'm not doing it. Uh, it, is, it is toxic. Uh, so if you're interested in stability and certainty... Back-to-work legislation is a nice quick fix, but look, everybody in this room is savvy, and I think every one of you has probably negotiated at a table at some point in your life. If you know that the federal government at any point in time is going to come in and sign off on something and just get it done and arbitrated, why the hell are you going to put your best game at the table? Fool. Almost everybody at that table is making a lot more money than me. Work for it. Work at the table. Because I think government relations, you know, in dealing with both employers and sometimes with unions too, has been been pretty much waited out. Tell Baron Beatty to go on power and politics and tell him to move. Get the government move, move, government to back to work, back to work. If you were serious about the economy, back to work. It's done. I'm not doing it. Um I what really nailed it for me was um uh WestJet uh was going on strike for May long weekends. Right. 
Um, and that meant I was uh, five days on Dixon Road just outside of Pearson Air Force. Three steakhouse restaurants there. <laughs> Three. A lot of steak. I'll take your word for oh, it. Oh, no, trust me. Uh, a lot of parking lots, a lot of steakhouse. Um, they... Uh, it was it was the first time the WestJet Union, the pilots' union, signed the deal. The other the previous one had just been forced upon them through arbitration and do it and legislated. Um, the mood, the, the the head of the pilots' union told me that night as they were cracking open champagne, and you know they're at each other's throats. Then they signed, and then they're cracking open champagne. He said, "This is a new chapter in our company." Great, because they arrived at it together. Yeah, if you want a sustainable deal. If you want a sustainable work environment, if you want a constructive work environment, then these everybody's got to get that deal for themselves. Yeah. So my job is to work with our federal mediation and, and, and conciliation service, which is, by the way, like the best. They're premier. 96% success rate. You never, ever hear about all the good ones. Even the St. Lawrence Seaway, which I got done late Sunday night. I came to come back to Ottawa Monday afternoon. Not a peep. Nothing, you know, but we got it done. Yeah. And even then, uh, with this one, you know, I think that there are certain things that I want to look at uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen again. I, it is, I am not satisfied with just getting the deal done. Mm -hmm. I want to know what happened, and I want to make sure it doesn't happen again. <laughs> but I will not compromise the collective bargaining table. So, uh, you know, I want people to work for it. I think we have a new bumper sticker for you. Get back to the table. How many times have you said that recently? Well, Get back to the table. Copy and paste. Copy and paste. That's right. Everybody knows. But it, but it has to get, get through. back to the table. It has it has to get through. And and I think I think um, post BC, I wish it hadn't taken two weeks, but I think people know I, I was very serious about it. By the way, and back to work legislation. Let me just say, is not like some panacea. It's not waving a wand. First of all, uh, it's a little easier now getting uh, MPs together. Um, right. but you know, because virtually, but I still got to get the Senate. Yeah. I'm still not guaranteed the vote. No. Uh, I, I still, we still weren't sure where the conservatives were going to go on it. We felt fairly, con we felt fairly certain they had no problem bringing the house back. We'd need that. Probably would have voted for back to work. Don't know though. Yeah. Not sure at all if, if he would close the house or if yeah. it would remain open for the summer. There was a lot of question mark, a yeah. yeah. lot of time for debate in between. Yeah. And then the Senate. Uh, so we would have, you know, it took two weeks. It probably would have taken longer with back to work. Yeah. Now, very quickly. Meanwhile, it would have poisoned everything. Because time is uh, quickly passing. A lot of people in this room, they have big projects. They're moving in terms of uh, whether it's a new hydro project, whether it's a critical minerals line. Mm -hmm. um, talent. And when Lisa and I go out and talk to all our members, number one issue for them is where the talent's going to come from. Yeah. And the skills that that talent needs to drive the green economy. Yeah. So uh, where's the talent going to come from? And uh, what about the skills that we're going to need uh, to make sure that we are competitive in this new brave world of uh, the green or clean economy? Yeah, it's probably telling that the Minister of Labor deals a lot more now with the Minister of Immigration. Yeah. No, I'm sure that's true. Or, yeah. Um, we don't even have the time to waste to get people into trade schools and wait for them to finish right now. We need them now. We need people now. So uh, first and foremost, we've got to work with the provinces where you have, you know, 94% of the labor force 
I'm about 6% are in federal jurisdiction. Right. The vast majority of the trades is within provincial jurisdiction. So work with the provinces, work with work with colleges, work with the Minister of Immigration to make sure that we're streaming people in who have applicable trades. Uh, one thing that we have been able to do, for instance, uh, is is work with uh, work with unions first and foremost in 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 giving them the training money. So instead of the federal government, when we wanted to come in aggressively with training, especially when we were talking about just transition, although we don't say just transition, we say sustainable jobs. Because workers Thank hate God. Transition. Yes, they just hate it. Uh, and my priority is retaining workers in the energy sector. Yeah. Um, is is we we give it to unions. So through the UTIP funding, union training uh, p- program, we 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 give them the money. They, there's nobody who knows better what their what their membership needs and what employers need than the unions themselves. So we've tied a lot of it th- to them and to their participation. And we'll hope we're hoping that that will, you know. Uh, will reap rewards. We also want to make sure there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, tradesmen who are in, in the, uh, energy sector, you know, oil and gas who look down upon renewables for a whole host of reasons. Um, first of all, they often don't pay as well. Secondly, a lot of renewables companies don't want union jobs, don't want unions. Um, so that's why our ITCs are, are, are tagged to that because we, that is to draw the talent, right? That is to draw them to, to the, you know, to, yeah. to bring the talent in. And, you know, with great futility, um, as I said on Power and Politics last night, you know, I have worked very hard to try and lower the volume mm-hmm. on something that is so important, and that is the energy transition that's happening in this country, right. which frankly, look, I have to keep repeating this, but it has to be said because people have to appreciate its importance. We are the fourth biggest producers of oil in the world. We are the fifth produ- biggest producers of natural gas in the world. We sent a bunch of workers out two generations ago to do a job. They figured out how to get oil out of sand. Yeah. God love them. Look at us. Yeah. We asked them to go on the offshore of Newfoundland to figure it out. They did. Mm-hmm. And my w- workers in Newfoundland are flying to Mongolia to tell them how to do it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And now we need to keep that workforce that is so skilled now and experienced, and we need them to be open to working in renewables and to lowering emissions. And our politics has done a crap job of that. <laughs> but it is absolutely vital that we keep them on side. Indeed. And there are those of us who have worked tirelessly in the background to make that happen. It doesn't fit with the overriding political narrative. And and I have, you know, I have pointed to journalists in Alberta and across the country and told them the same. You've never, you know that Tanya and I were working together, for instance. Nobody ever wanted to report it because it wasn't the narrative. Right. But you just keep at it. Yeah, that's what you do. Important. Well, Minister, we're over time, which surprises me in no way with you. <laughs> and I mean that with Canada Dan was great because she would just be cut the commercial. Yeah, I mean that with the greatest of affection. And you probably are just as funny as Brian Tobin. God love you. Anyway, on behalf of everyone here. I want to thank you for coming and spending 22 minutes with us. It was 22 minutes. And I'm She's sorry. a timer here. It's not like she was counting the seconds. Just for the- And I'm sorry that we don't have more time because there's, I think, a whole lot more you could uh, have said and wanted to say around um, labor shortages and the skills we're going to need going forward to drive the green economy. But there will be another time, I am sure. Well, let me just take a second to, uh, you know, it being Canada 2020 and knowing so many people in this room, I think a lot of us kind of share that that sense of uh, common mission. Uh, we come at it from different ways, but we wouldn't be in this room if we weren't really, really committed to results and to the amazing ambition of this country. Mm. 
Thank you so much, Minister. You're always such a positive force.